As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you insurgency in their lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Dude, why is that noise so cool? Move the pistol closer to me. No, no, you have, no, you have, bro, I know this noise gets in your head. I know because you ride motorcycles, and I know it gets in your head because you're out on that tractor, all right? There is I something. ride motorcycles, too. Well, I know, you got like 10 of them, but. It's <laughs> like, don't do that to me. I know how, why, bro, I get... dude, have you seen his mower? It's like the coolest mower I've ever seen in the world. Have you been yeah, on he's it? got a badass bike, too. It is. He's got like 10 badass bikes, but I'm just saying, because if you've seen him, like he shifts it into gear out there, he's like, bop, bop. I said, can we jump that thing? And when those cycles fire up, man, that's that's something. Right? You ever been to Supercross? Yes. Man, when they're all fired up. Oh, dude. 250s and the 450s. If if you've been around long enough, you can hear the different tones in each one of those cycles. I mean, I I listened to a comedian one time. He's like, Yama. You know, that kind of stuff, man. You can you hear it rolling through there. Totally. And uh, what those guys can do on those, man, they're wizards on the, sorry. but There's only one wizard. There is. Maybe sorcerers. Yeah, the sorcerers are on those bikes. The t- Toothsayers. To take it from where they have, where you're just kind of riding in. The, oh, bro. Is it double or are they tripled now on with oh, on, on motorcycles? Triples, triples dude. Yeah. Dude, I remember I when want- Travis did that double up on that, on, 
during the X Games that time, man. Thank you for leading us into our next segment, which is Nitro Circus. Yeah, man, those guys. So I, I like the racing, but what I love is watching those dudes launch. And they're launching on motorcycles. They're launching on bikes. They're launching on, what, uh, scooters, skateboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're launching on UTVs. They're launching on snowmobiles. They're launching on big semi rigs, trucks. semi-trucks. Anything that they can jump, they will jump if it goes fast, bro. Wheels and an engine. Let's yeah. get it in the air. In the air. How cool is that? Have you been? I mean, they pack stadiums, dude. They get as big a crowds as like you too, right? It's like, hey, dude, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going <laughs> well, to stadium. That's 21st Century Circus. I, that's what you're you. dealing with. That's genius. Mm. But it's much, so much cooler than than like dudes and clowns bailing out of a V-dub, right? Entertainment has become a little more sophisticated, I suppose. Well, what's really depressing is Bar and Bailey Circus shut down because all the animal be- be- abuse people. But really, yeah. Oh yeah, last show was this yeah, year, right? Yeah. So, and and I just want to say for for hundred yeah, right? plus I, years, hundred plus years, Bar and Bailey provided this wonderful entertainment. My point is, is and what you so eloquently said, Mark, is is we've moved into a new style of entertainment. And the beauty is there are individuals out there who are willing to push themselves to the extremes, doing what they love, going fast, jumping high for our entertainment. And that, my friends, is cool. It's awesome. Anytime somebody can make a living just doing what they love to do. You start out doing as kids. Right? You get into something doing and learn to love it as a kid, man. And then someone... One day you stand there doing your kid deal and someone oh. wants to pay you for it. Dude, I was in BMX, man, by like five, six years old. I loved it, dude. Yeah, I raced BMX too. Yeah. Yep. What'd you what'd you ride? A twenty inch and I never got into the cruisers. The cruiser series kind of came yeah. oh a diamondback. Diamondback. I was, diamondback. Yeah, I was on a brother, thruster. CW racer. What's yeah, that? Yeah, thruster. Yeah. My buddies rode Mongoose and Hutch and Profiles. I still have the profile on the Mongoose down there. That's the awesome. You saw that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I remember them being bigger. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember my brother caved on the uh, double over at Ross Downs. He come rolling back up and his, his bars were bent down and, and he had a chip. <laughs> and then the, the tabletop coming around that, that first turn uh, swung left. I think there was a, like there was a, a little mini hump and then they had the tabletop. Yeah. And there was this awesome tree right off to the left for some reason, man. Me and that sucker were friends a couple of times. You get two kids coming over the table at the same time, man. That, oh, one dude's going right out. in, yeah. yeah. Kick out, man. Like, boom. <laughs> Whack. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> oh, dude, I love the it. The trail I, is dude, off to the races. My parents, where it, where it all shifted for me, my parents got, I bought an ATC. Remember the three-wheelers when they came out? The most dangerous vehicle yeah, ever invented. Too. So I got well, like little 60, and we built this track in back of my house, dude, and I built a jump. I would crash that thing just about daily because you don't jump a three-wheel vehicle, right? And my <laughs> parent every time like I'd be banged up, my parents would be like, why are you so banged up? And I said, no, I don't know. I don't know. Just, you know, building the track. And it was the most dangerous thing. And finally, when, when one of my buddies, Craig Gravina, almost died on it, is when my parents were just like, all right, we got to get rid of this thing. 
That was some of the most fun we had during the day on the weekends was building the, the, the tracks, the, the track of the jump, the one, yeah, the one big jump. You go steal the dirt from somewhere else totally. and have to pull it over and then totally. all right, who's going to jump it first? And, you know, they, they're kind of like, oh, uh. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> then by the end of the day, man. You're just full <laughs> flowing high. Man. Awesome, dude. We did the same thing, man. I love it. Well, our guest today, our guest today is world class at this stuff. And the crew that he hangs out with, the Nitro Circus people, his family, the Godfrey clan, I'll tell you what, they have taken this to a whole new level, man. And it is, I'm, I am so fired up that this young man is on today because he represents not only the future of, of, of these sports, motorsports, but his story is epic. Now, if you're a first-time listener to T&K Podcast, welcome aboard there, Troop. We are super fired up to have you. Uh, if you may or may not know, this is uh, my good friend, Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell, our solid technical genius who wants to shoot me with a pellet gun every show, the wizard, and mm. me... David Rutt Rutherford, we're your hosts, and we're our sole mission here is to get you revved up, to get you flying high on life by teaching you the never quit mindset. If you are coming back and you are a dedicated listener, man, we thank you so much because you understand the high octane fuel that the TNQ podcast is. And if you, man, just keep us coming back because we owe you everything. We owe our success. We owe our ability to bring on these big time guests to these people with these incredible stories to share with you, to teach you how to, how to just launch off your tabletop of adversity. I'm just so proud to be back here. If you want to know more about what it is, who we are, what we do, please visit the website at tnqpodcast.com. Follow us on all social media platforms. Marcus, me, Team Never Quit. We're out there. We're on all of them. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you know, Go check out the teamneverquit.com website. Get some merchandise. You'll dig it. Uh, and I'm telling you, man, this is some awesome, awesome awesome stuff we got here today so mm. wizard Sir. could you introduce tanner to our listeners a little bit yeah let's let's run through this real quick i'm gonna first let's talk about the godfrey clan which uh, you mentioned is the stunt family just give the idea great family give, give the listeners an idea of this this world that they're in mama and papa um, godfrey just want to say hey you're awesome people yeah well the patriarch of this of of them is i guess greg godfrey um, and his initial, or being a co-founder in Nitro Circus, which is, they call themselves an action sports collective. It was started with him and Travis Pastrana. Um, the GOAT. Tanner is a part of this family. He grew up racing dirt bikes, becomes an amateur champion uh, in, uh, in Utah, 2007. Uh, soon after that, though, he's involved in this serious accident, which is really the core of his never-quit story here. So while racing uh, in Mesquite, Utah, he wrecked, Flipped over the handlebars doing 50 miles an hour. He broke eight ribs, shattered his T6, and dis dislocated the T7 uh, and was diagnosed as a paraplegic. Quite interestingly, his father, the day prior, had, had crashed in the exact same spot on this track and broke his T7, or 6, 7, and 8 as well, which is such a, which is such a tragic coincidence. Soon after this, he's getting... He, he's, he's, Chomping at the bit to get back on bikes. 2012, I mean, he's, he's relearned to walk. 
um, using a walker. He's still doing that, but you can you can see his progress since then. Gets involved in 2013 in UTVs. Uh, sets a world record. First awesome. time he sets a world record. Explain what that is. 2013 UTV. UTV this is, these are the side by side. These overgrown four wheelers for people who are not nice familiar. badass Sit cage. Down, yeah. yeah, with the with the steering wheel like you have in a car. Anyways, 2013 he sets the world record with a 105 foot jump in this. Again, he comes back in 2015. He sets another world record, 202 feet. Added 100 feet. Right. Basically That's added sick. another 100 feet to it. Sick. That's the second world record. So he's just a he's a he's a kid that loves loves being in this world, even if he's gone through this I mean life changing incident, uh, this injury. So it'd be very interesting to hear his mindset, how he got through that, where he sees himself going. What do you think, Marcus? Let's get this guy on. Absolutely. Wizard. Yes, sir. Bye. And Marcus, when I have my pedal to the floor in a DPV and I'm going 75 miles an hour at night with night vision out in the in the desert of Kuwait, man, you know the only thing I'm thinking about? Don't run over any camels. Don't run over any camels, because those sons of bitches are everywhere out there, dude. That's a big deal when you hit one of those, too. It's like, it's like $25,000. Yeah, like you can eagle over here. You could go to jail. Yeah, it's a big deal. And you don't want to be in a Kuwaiti <laughs> prison, bro. But I'm telling you, the beauty of it is the freedom, right? You got your goggles on. You got the, you feel the wind in your air, the desert. You right, You're hitting the things. Man, I saw one time, one of our, our, we were in a little triangle and our middle guy, it was, it was actually Larry. Larry hit Mrs. Toy, you know, you got no depth perception, you know the deal. And he, and he hit, doesn't see this dip in the sand, hits this thing, goes up, goes down, disappears. And all of a sudden, like it's in the air, <laughs> dude, and it goes to slow motion. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. And all I'm thinking about is the dude in the third seat who pulls the G's when he hits. And the thing hits, and then this wave of sand comes over him, and then it, like, comes to the thing. We all go riding over, right? And, dude, totally non-tactical, totally nothing. We all get up, and I'm like, dude, that was awesome! (laughs) 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 So, what I got to say is our guest today does this every freaking day, bro. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Is that cool? Can I have that ride more than one time? I mean, it scares the when you when you don't know it's coming, like with the DPVs, especially out in there. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's one of those deals when you live through it, you wish you could do it again over and over, and this is what he does. Every single day. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. Every single day, he lives in this world of freedom, man. The freedom of a motorcycle, of a UTV, and he's surrounded by people that are all having a blast do it. So I gotta get, we gotta get him on. We gotta introduce him, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome, Mister Tanner Godfrey, to the show, brother. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Great. We we, we are above dirt. It is a glorious day. We are busting on each other for about two hours now straight. It's awesome. <laughs> That's a good time. 
Well, here's what we're going to do, Tanner. <laughs> I, we're going to bring you right into the fold. We're not going to let you just sit on that lazy boy and relax for this <laughs> interview, all right? We're going to push you just like you get pushed out in the desert, mm. out in the mountains, wherever you ride. My favorite one is when you guys are in the forest driving those things like a bat out of hell. That's, that's <laughs> nuts, dude. So what we're going to do to get you warmed up is we do this thing called the Mad Minute, brother. So the way it works, we're going to free fire questions at you, and whatever pops into your head, just throw it out at us. Roger that. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Marcus, fire away. All right. What's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, I have a lot of pet peeves, but probably slow drivers right now. (laughs) (laughs) I hear that. Do you get road rage on a UTV? Um... Actually, yeah, sometimes. Because <laughs> you're sitting there eating the dust, and then they're just moseying along. And my cruising speed's a little faster than most people's cruising speed. So I come up on someone, and then you just kind of yell at them. And if they don't move, you just get around them the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever like, do you ever like, we, we call it pitting, right? Like when you drive through the streets of Iraq or Afghanistan or something, and those like crazy drivers and their little their little uh, taxis. If we if we need to move them, we actually move them. Do you guys do that to each other? Move each other off the off the road <laughs> a little bit? Uh, yeah. If they're friends, then they go for a little ride. If but the problem <laughs> is, I don't have a bumper on my machine right now, so then that does damage to me too. So I try mm. to avoid hitting them. But if it comes down to that, we might bump a tire up. But then that takes the tire up over their tire and. Things get a little western real fast. Robin's hey, Rubin, <laughs> racing. Robin's <laughs> racing. He didn't bump you, nudge you, or push you. He rubbed you. Robin's son <laughs> is racing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you could play out in real life a movie character, any character from a movie, what would it be? Hmm. That's a good question. Off the top of my head, probably James Bond. Actually. Oh, nice. Okay. Now, why, Tanner? Why James Bond? I don't know. I've always been a fan of James Bond. He's, he's just a bad man. <laughs> I, I, that's, I think that might be the first time someone's throwing that one out there, but think about it. That's, you know, that's, that's a good one, man. Which James Bond? Oh, I think Daniel Craig's done a great job. I think he's... He has. I, I'm with you, brother. Yep. He's like one that. bad dude. <laughs> All right, Wizard, fire away. All right, give me one vehicle that you'd love to own that you haven't yet? Oh, probably a trophy truck. That's those (laughs) desert trucks that do like 120 across the desert, rough as hell. Oh, bro. Absolutely. That's the best vehicle on the planet, in my opinion. They're insane. Oh, yeah. Plan vehicle. I'm going to take a step back and say I got one that's more bad than that. You ready for this? So when I was an SQT instructor out in Nyland, we're out there one day, and all of a sudden, the, the gold team guys from uh, Damnick 6 come out, and they come up on the berm where we shoot, and they're in these souped-up Humvees that were rebuilt by Rod Hall, and they call them the Hammers, and they had racing shocks, racing suspension, racing trannies, racing every... I mean, like, these things were each... Like two hundred fifty thousand dollars plus, they had mini guns mounted on the top. So I was like, and 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 I watched these things, dude. These things were insane, man. 
So I love the trophy trucks, but they don't have miniguns on them. So I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, we'll, we'll just put a minigun on the trophy truck. Why yeah, you, gotta... you put a minigun on I'm and with Tanner on this, man. Passion, those Hummers will go. Yeah. Thanks for destroying yeah. my dream, Jens. Baddest truck on the planet. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tanner. <laughs> I appreciate you just destroying my dream. <laughs> All right. What is one item that's on your bucket list for us? Um, I want a base jump off something. Dude, we'll co- hook you up with Annie Stump. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why do you want yeah. a base jump? That's crazy town. Just cause, it, cause I've sky, I went skydiving the year at, for my year anniversary of breaking my back, and like skydiving was fun, but it wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't a rush, really, just cause you're so high up, everything's just so small, and you have uh, so yep. much time to mm-hmm. fall. And I feel like base jumping would be a lot more adrenaline, and you mm-hmm. just. Because you have a quick amount of time to open the shooter, you die. <laughs> yeah, your reference point is so much closer. Like the reality of your own death just feels so much closer. I'm yeah. Because it is. <laughs> <laughs> because it is. Just because it is. Hi, right, Marcus. Fire away, bud. Huh? Fire away. Uh, favorite superhero? Um, probably Superman. Thank you. Thank you very much. Finally. We've had so many kind of questionable answers lately. Finally, <laughs> somebody talks about the only real superhero there is. Well, just because he can fly, and I walk so slow that flying would make everything a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> cool. It would, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is a unique reference point. He's got point some other there. powers yeah. that would make things easier, but that's one of them. <laughs> I yeah, like, that's one thing. <laughs> I like the whole like eye laser thing that he does, where he just melts stuff. You know, yeah, he'd melt Spider Man's little sissy webs. You know, oh, oh my oh, god, oh, <laughs> oh no, damn, that just happened. That uh, just came <laughs> out, Marcus. I, I heard it. <laughs> Marcus is—he's <laughs> giving that Hulk like uh, he's getting angry. He just turned green. <laughs> Starting to shake. Starting there to it shake. comes. There it is. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, one of those right here. Like, ah, oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Right, for anybody right. who can't see that, that was a giant Hulk fist. <laughs> I don't know where the hell did you pull that out of, dude. He no, it's on him. It's a part oh, yeah, of him. You, you know, if I wear all this stuff all the time, it's kind of weird. But I got kids, so I get away with most of it. <laughs> Dude, you had all that stuff before they I came I did have all that I knew I was going to have kids, man. It was cool. <laughs> all right, Wizard, fire I had to see if away. it was safe for the little ones. All right, man. Let's see. Uh, something a little more serious. If you could go back in history and spend a week with any one person, who would it be? Anyone in history? Mm, probably George Washington, because I just listened to the 1776 book, and it was... Just amazing with what Pretty they good, went yeah. through. And that dude can write, can he, right, man? Yeah. All right. All right. Last question. What was the first vehicle you ever drove? Uh, a four-wheeler was the first one. And then I started driving at like 10 years old. My grandpa let us drive his truck. <laughs> like a nice. full semi? No, not a semi, just a pickup truck, but like we were driving it down the roads and stuff. We actually drove it to work. He would just sit there in the passenger seat and 
<laughs> he, had a lot of, he had a lot of faith and trust in us. <laughs> Dude, I thought I was cool, like, stealing my mom's station wagon and driving around Boca at 13. He's driving at 10 years old, right? With an adult in the car. Sanctioned. It was a sanctioned illegal event. Uh, my granddad's are great no. about that. My, mine always had a beer in his hand. That's the reason we were normally driving. This is a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Here, boy, take, take the wheel. Yeah, when you get out in the back in the country. Right. When, yeah. Oh, yeah. That happens around here. Here, boy, hold my beer <laughs> where I turn the car. <laughs> I love it. All right. That is the Mad Minute, Tanner. We thank you so much for your answers. We really appreciate it. All right. But let's get serious for a minute here. The reason why our guests come to this show, our listeners, man, and and these are some wonderful human beings from around the world who have created this great little community of people that firmly believe in the supporting one another and their hardships in life and their struggles, but they come back over and over because we have amazing guests such as yourself that come on and they share these incredible experiences that they've gone through that have taught them how to overcome adversity, how to, how to fight through the combat of life. So Tanner, if you could, please, my brother, would you please share with our listeners your greatest never quit story or stories? Yeah, I've, I've got a couple of them, I guess. I'm currently on one right now, I guess. I, uh, I broke my back back in 2007, and I'll just give like a little lead up to it. Uh, my whole life has been in, around sports, and so I'm a very competitive person. And I played football, baseball, basketball, wrestling. I mean, you name it, I did it. BMX racing, motocross, did all that stuff. And so I was in really good shape and that all led me to playing football and wrestling in high school, which gave me a thick neck. Thank goodness. And on Thanksgiving of 2007, we were racing down in Mesquite, Nevada. And well, on Thanksgiving, my dad crashed on this hill and he crash fractured his T six, seven and eight vertebrae. And so he went to the hospital and had to get a turtle shell brace. So he couldn't move and whatnot. And 24 hours later, same spot on the track, I went over the bars and landed on my head, and it um, exploded my T6. They called a burst fracture wow. vertebrae, and then um, dislocated it from T7. And, ex- uh, and with that, it I laid there on the hill, and it felt like somebody just hit me in the chest with the truck. I couldn't... I tried to roll over to my back and it just hurt so bad that i laid there until they finally got me on a backboard and as soon as they put me on that backboard and got me up the ambulance my left leg went numb and i told them i was like my legs i can't move my leg and they're just like oh you're fine and i was like uh it's not fine but whatever (laughs) get to the hospital and they throw me on another backboard and the doctors he's cutting my motorcycle pants off i'm like what are you doing these are nice pants (laughs) (laughs) and i got my ass chewed out by him he's like he didn't he didn't like that answer so they cut him off and put me onto another backboard and as i was in the x-ray machine my um my left leg came back and i could start to move it and then they put me on one final backboard and threw me in a plane to fly up to the university of utah hospital in salt lake city and 
by that time, everything was numb from like the chest down. I couldn't move or feel anything. And I wow. get up here, get in the emergency room, and then they just take me into the um, operating room and ended up putting two eight-inch rods down my spine and ten screws and woke up the next morning and was dead from the nipples oh. down pretty much. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that was kind of a wake-up call, but it wasn't that it was real. Like everybody, I had a bunch of visitors come in, like from, because I had just graduated high school, so I was still around the neighborhood and whatnot. And so we had, I had a ton of people come in throughout the days that I was in the ICU, and everybody would come in and they'd be like, we came in to pick you up and try to keep your spirits up, but you picked our spirits up. And that's awesome. And I, hmm. just cause I didn't, it really hadn't set in yet, I guess. Right. And, and so the first day that it really set in is when I moved down to the rehab floor, which was two weeks after and, uh, order my wheelchair. And that was like, that was the first time I'd really cried from it just cause it kind of hit me like, holy hell, this is really happening. Yeah, I'm in this <laughs> thing. Yeah, but I mean, like everything, it's got its ups and downs, but the first day that the therapist came in, he's sitting there and he sits me up on the bed and I about pass out just because I don't have the muscles to keep the blood going up and so I get real lightheaded and he's doing this test. He's got a safety pin and he's got the sharp end and the round end and he's poking in like, can you feel it sharper round and and so he pokes my leg, and I just let out a scream like, ah! And he kind of jumps back, and I'm like, I'm just kidding. I can't feel that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I've always had a pretty good sense of humor about it. I mean, it, so that was, that was in November, and by, um, by February, I got to the hospital uh, December 28th, and then I got home for New Year's, and I... I was getting so frustrated that I was just having to sit in my wheelchair that I went down the road and we had a bunch of snow that year. And so the roads were all snow covered and I go down the street and I end up getting stuck in the flipping gutter because it was all like <laughs> mushy snow. Right. And, and so a car's driving by and I'm so embarrassed. I act like I'm fixing my wheelchair or something as he drives by. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just kick it into two wheel drive real good and get out of it luckily. But it's, I just, I, I never, I haven't let this injury stop me at all. I mean, I, I've had fun. I got so mad at my feet that I went and stuck them in the snow and said, if you guys aren't going to work, you're going to freeze. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's been a long process. I've done therapy for 10 years this fall and going to the gym. And so it, it started where I could just barely twitch my foot and get it moving. And then it slowly started coming. And I, I had really bad spasms, so I would, um, my legs would just freak out and just start shaking. But the medicine that they had me on was to kill the spasms, and I was like, I don't want to do that because I feel that the spasms are keeping my legs strong, so that when mm. I do start moving and getting and walking and stuff, I'll still have the muscle. And um, so I took mm -hmm. myself off the medicine and slowly started use learn to use the spasms to walk and wow. about six months later i got to where i could stand up and six months after the injury you're standing up 
Yeah, I mean, I was doing a lot of it with my arms, but my legs were slowly starting to grasp the concept of working. Wow. Yeah, and did uh, and they and they'd given me. They said I'd live a good life in a wheelchair, and I just said, to "Health, you guys all." I'll be fine. You can go <laughs> pack sand on that one. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah, I ain't live a good one in this chair or a great one on my feet. I'll, <laughs> I, I'll get back on my feet. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, it's the thing is that people don't realize is being paralyzed really, I mean, it wouldn't be that bad if your internal stayed the same, like your bladder and going to the bathroom or whatnot. If that stayed the same, being paralyzed wouldn't be bad at all because that's the, the hardest part. And I'm, I'm now, I walk with canes now and I can um, walk a little bit without canes. It's like I walk like turtle speed with canes. So without canes, I'm about snail speed. <laughs> but it's just being paralyzed with it is, it's kind of a mindset. You are what you think. I mean, obviously the legs don't work like I want them to, but I do more stuff than most people that are able bodied do. And it's just because. I want to do it. <laughs> I dig that. Well, ha- tell me, uh, all right, let me just back up a little bit. Cause I'm just trying to fathom that space and time. You're injured, you're home, you're in a wheelchair, you're stuck, and then you're walking. And w- does it in that space was, was it this mentality? Was that, did you have to grow that mentality or was it just there? And why? Um, so that's where, being ultra competitive really helped. Um, mm. And the fact that everybody in my family and grandparents are, are they're all hard headed as hell. And so <laughs> I got, I got overloaded with the stubborn gene and I wasn't going to just sit there and mm-hmm. waste away. I mean, I had a lot of drive and I've always, when things got hard, that's when I really excelled a lot more than most is because you kind of find out more about yourself in those times and you do any other times, just like when you guys go through your training with Amen. the seal stuff. I mean, and you learn out, learn more about yourself when you get the shit kicked out of you than you do when you don't. That's a hundred. Ain't that true. You talk about that all the time, don't you? Oh yeah. That's how, I mean, sometimes you're going to have to walk in and you find more about yourself in the, in the dark place, right? Always. Because it's, it's, not your normal world it's not your normal state and that there's parts of you that come out in the, in the on the dark side that that just show you how far you can take something well i love it so so now you're six months into it you're going when did it start going to you like um all right i'm gonna get back on a bike i'm gonna get back in a, a, a utv i'm gonna keep I'm going to keep going fast. Everybody else, you can go to, you know, go back. I'm going to keep going fast. When did that go off in your head? Oh, well, actually, I got back on a motorcycle. I think it was February. What? So it was, it was what, two months after. My mom was <laughs> gone to the grocery store, and my buddy was here, and my dad, and I just really wanted to get on a bike, so they put me on his bike and I rode down the roads and I mean, it's winter. So there's snow wow. on the side. So I kind of limited to how I can turn around and whatnot. And they threw it into second gear and I just kind of cruised down the roads. My little brothers were next to me. If I fell over, it's not like they could do anything because they're 
real young. And so <laughs> I go down and my foot just kind of goes straight from the vibration. It just, my leg spazzes and goes straight. So it's about dragging on the ground. So I'm trying to keep it from hitting and <laughs> kind of doing a little willy. And I'm just, I just had a shit eating grin from ear to ear. I was so happy. Oh, that's awesome, man. Very cool. And so that was the spark. And everybody's like, all right, this is, this is the source of, of your happiness in life. And, you know, w- when you feel that, you know, how do you take that spark in that moment to then go on to do what you've done? And, and if you can, just the growth and leading to the world record and all that stuff. Could you just take us through that a little bit? Yeah. So, like, before I broke my back, like, all I thought about was racing motorcycles and riding motorcycles like football and wrestling made me stronger to go ride motorcycles and like i i really loved wrestling i i took third in state um my senior year at 189 and so like that everything just was to get in shape from for racing motorcycles (laughs) and so um once i broke my back i wasn't there wasn't a question that i wouldn't get back on a bike and so I actually do have a motorcycle even right now that's set up for me to ride. It's got a thumb shifter and then a recluse clutch, which makes it so you don't have to use a clutch. Right. And so I can I can ride that, but I don't ride it very often because it pisses me off because I can't go very fast. I can't go like I want to go. So that's where the four wheels came into play. And the first time that I started riding a UTV was in, um, in 08, actually that easter we would go down to the desert every year and i wanted to ride one and since i couldn't use my feet me and my grandpa designed the uh driving stick and it was an old pop-up tent uh pole with a <laughs> duct taped bottle on the end of it MacGyver. that was gen one <laughs> <laughs> mark one motto the fun thing about them is that you've got someone sitting next to you to experience all the oh shit moments. <laughs> and, and so, and as you can think, driving with a stick, there's a lot of those. And so I tell people, I'm either going to hit the floor, the brake, or the gas. So if you're here pounding, that means I'm missing the gas and the brake. So hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I love and, it, dude. And so that, uh, there's been a lot of sketchy moments and surprisingly I had not tipped a razor or side by side over until last year. Was Are my you first kidding? Time. You were five, six years without flipping one of those things? Uh, hell it was it was almost nine years. Well eight and a half and uh Wow. And then once once I once I did do it once though, we were up on the mountain at the ski resort and we had these Polaris Razor turbos. Uh-huh. And so we're going down the ski slopes with them. And so in the morning, the snow's really uh, <laughs> hard and frozen. Nice. And come afternoon, it gets soft just from the sun because it's springtime. And I didn't take that into consideration. I ended up tipping it twice with this guy in it. And I was just like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> and then a week later, I go and tip it at, uh, down in the desert. And then I ended up rolling one at about 65 miles an hour. We went off this trail and I was had just had the headlights. So I was running a little fast for him. I was doing 75 and 
<laughs> the dirt was perfect, so I couldn't not go slow or fast, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and needless to say, we ended up missing a turn and dropping into a ditch, and we front flipped. I, I got it slowed down to Ooh. 65, and we front flipped and then Ooh. somehow hit and barrel rolled and then landed <laughs> on my side. But it was really tall sagebrush and soft dirt, so it didn't really hurt that bad. <laughs> I love his frame of reference for hurt, right? Did I break my back again? Nope. Yeah. Check. I'm good. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, I won't break that. I got the rod, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that's like. I broke mine. I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tree. <laughs> awesome. Hey, so I'm curious whether you feel like now you are, I don't know, more aware of being careful or not being careful. If you're more, if you take more care now after the, after the accident, being aware of going through and what can happen and then recovering from Great that. Great question. Or yeah. before when I guess maybe you were ignorant of what exactly it would be like if something bad happened. Um, yeah, I'm definitely more careful. That's why I don't really ride the motorcycle as much as I'd like to is just cause I know that I won't bounce like I used to. Um, and so I definitely am aware of things. It's and like, I don't really take that many risks. Like I'm pretty calculated with what I do. Like if I know it's pretty gnarly and I could get hurt, then I kind of weigh everything. But mm. I've on my motorcycle, I crashed so many times that. I should have been hurt really bad. I mean, I crashed to a 95 one time, just flat out down this desert trail in a race. And I just slowly started tipping over. I was on this cow trail and you know how they're kind of worn into the ground. So you got the sandy banks Yep. and I hit those and just slowly started sliding out. And I was like, well, this isn't going to feel good. And I hit (laughs) and I just rolled and my bike flipped and yeah. And, but I mean, all the things that I should have been hurt, I never got hurt. And, it's just the little things that I always got hurt on. So I uh, kind of figured that the faster you're going, the better you're going to bounce. <laughs> skip. You skip, right? Skip. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know if that makes sense, but okay. <laughs> All right. I, I, I want to just stop for a second for our listeners' sake. And, and can you explain really what the Godfrey clan is, how it got its start, and why you guys do what you do to just give our our listeners, if they're just tuning in, a frame of reference of what, why you guys do what you do and how it all, you know, got got ignited. Yeah, so my Uncle Greg, he started filming in the early 90s and he did like the extreme BMX stuff and the motorcycle stuff. That's when freestyle was just barely kind of, getting its foothold for freestyle motocross and so they started doing that and it just kept escalating and escalating and then he got in contact with travis pastrana who you don't know him he's like the Mm. michael jordan of the extreme sports like travis you are the goat brother (laughs) yeah he is just the gnarliest human being (laughs) i have ever met like (laughs) there's no other word he's just nutty (laughs) (laughs) and so they're doing that and so we've had really no no choice but to grow up with this extreme lifestyle and it's kind of second nature to us kids and um that's what kind of the godfrey thing was godfrey clan is it was all the cousins and i mean because my brother he said he did the first triple backflip on a mountain bike 
And so we had this ramp set up out at um, Godfrey Trucking, and it was about 60 feet tall, 7 feet tall to roll in to a 15-foot kicker that was real steep, and the landing was about 20 feet. Wow. And What was the height on that again? One cut. 70. It was. 70 feet? Yeah, it was tall. <laughs> it was a little real bit. tall. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I want to make sure I heard that correctly. <laughs> and, but I mean, they, my brother landed a triple backflip on the mountain bike. And then my cousin, he, he landed pretty hard and crashed trying to do it. And once he did that, once my brother landed it, my cousin's like, Oh, I want to land it too now. And so he goes and land five minutes later. So within about five minutes, two of our family members had landed the triple backflip on the mountain <laughs> bike, which hadn't been done before. And then, that's pretty awesome. Um, just out there, we've had a lot of records done. My dad jumped a semi, a hundred. Well, <laughs> he didn't <laughs> land it. The gap was 120 feet, and he only made it 115. Oh! The back axles tagged on this, and he ended up flipping over and nose diving and rolling a semi. <laughs> <laughs> but he got the world record, correct? <laughs> well, he didn't get it because he didn't land it. But it looks so much cooler him crashing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so this is in your family. It's in your blood. It's a part of you guys. So tell us about all of a sudden now you saying, "All right, you know what? All these other family members are doing these awesome. I want my world record too." So how to walk us through that, and what made you want to do that? So I jumped. I did the first record in, for the world distance like record on a UTV. I did it 105 feet down in Mesquite, Nevada at this um, race at the Eureka Casino that they did. So I did that in 2012, no, 2013. And then two years later, 2015, my uncle calls me and he's like, so what do you think about jumping and doing the world record up in – montana for the evil knievel days and i was like oh, i have to think about it and i was on um like july 3rd and so i was like i'll think about it and then the next day i get a call or a text from evil knievel's daughter saying we're so excited to have you come up and jump and i was like well i guess i got roped into that one <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of not the worst, but it is the worst, right? It's just like, ah, yeah, yeah, man, I'm so happy I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't like I, because I'd been talking about doing it and we still have a big old jump out at um, Godfrey Trucking that I could do. And so this just kind of like pushed me. So I got the razor and put heavy duty suspension on it and got a cage done up. And so if I did roll it, would handle it, you know. I got the razor back from getting all the suspension put on for uh, the Monday. So we jumped on the 24th of July, and so I got it back like the or the 18th or 17th, so a couple days before. And I was like, well, I guess we better test jump. And yeah, um, sure. <laughs> so I had one practice jump before I went up there, and I was like, well, if I don't roll it, then I guess we're good. Because I wasn't sure with the suspension, because you have to kind of adjust it, you know? Right. I ended up hitting, just following my brother Gavin off this jump, and I think we were doing like 65, and I ended up jumping like 165 feet. And I nosedived pretty good on the left side of it, but 
I didn't roll, so I was like, well, I guess we're good to go. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Good enough for government work. Let's get it. So when you made the jump, how like was it was were you were you nervous to do it in front of the crowd? Was it because you know it was evil Knievel Day? I mean, talk ta- what's that like? And one also you're you're you now you're doing it, and then two, you know, it's a big deal if you you got these rods in your back. If if it, everything goes to hell, I mean, does that are you processing that in your mind? Um, not really. I just kind of like I was really nervous for the jump because like everything you do the first time, you just have butterflies. Just like you're thinking of all the yeah, exactly. Like what could go bad and what if this happens. And so I was, you know, once I got that first jump out of the way, I'd be fine. And the lips looked a little steeper than <laughs> I wanted it to, but it was like, whatever. And so, like, well, I guess it's go time. And it was a 120-foot gap, too. So it was just two piles of dirt, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I followed my brother off it. And once I did the first jump, then I was like, this isn't bad at all. And so I, I jumped like six times before. And we were supposed to be able to practice on Thursday night, and they didn't let us because the road wasn't closed down. And we were just going to run down with cars pulling out anyways to try to hit it because <laughs> this jump was literally in the middle of town, like on the road. <laughs> and so they didn't want us doing that too bad. So we didn't even start. I didn't even get a test jump until Friday at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and the jump was at 7. And so the suspension as good as we could and the furthest i ever got was 180 feet and then it was go time and i was like well i guess i'm just gonna have to pin it so i backed up to the intersection as far as i could go where the cops had it shut down and <laughs> i didn't lift until i was in the air and oh i was doing gosh. about 71 miles an hour and i just sailed and it That's i landed awesome. a little nose heavy but it wasn't bad and <laughs> landed right at 202 so so world record that is so, awesome. yeah. That is awesome, dude. All right. So let's just, I want to go through this, man. You break your back. Nothing's going to stop you. You get back in doing what you love. You set a world record. You're still out there. You know, talk to our guests a little bit about how you look at life and how you address, you know, is, is, your disability, is it an obstacle? Is it a distraction? Do you think about it day in and day out? Or is it just, it's just part of you? Explain some of that for our guests out there. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, with anything, it's got its ups and downs. I mean, I could, you could sit here and dwell on anything that goes bad. And the thing is, nobody wants to be around someone who just sits there and pisses and moans about life. It's, you'd rather be around someone who's happy. And I've just figured if you're mm-hmm. not happy, then go make yourself happy and do what you like. And for me, luckily, I like going to the gym most of the time. And so now I've got a life sentence because if I don't go to the gym, then my legs start locking up and my body starts hurting and my back starts hurting. So if I'm not moving, then I'm going downhill and it just starts happening so fast. And I mean, I've just, I've just learned to... There's so much good in life that you got to look at the good, and because if you sit there and dwell on the bad, then it's just going to eat you alive, and you're going to go down a black hole, and things aren't going to get good, be good. And I've, if it if it wasn't for the gym and for being active, I 
would probably be in the graveyard honestly have you have you i i'm sure your story has inspired just thousands of people do you get a lot of fan mail do you get a lot of people that uh have disabilities that write in and talk to you and say tanner this and that to you and what are they saying to you yeah i get a lot of people that are just saying what an inspiration i am and just amazed at what i've done and and to me i don't feel like i've done anything special i mean honestly, well, you have I feel like- you have i you have i'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> everybody's telling you ain't believing it you believe me brother yeah that's pretty damn spectacular i think i'm over here just scratching my head <laughs> no it's because that's I mean, the thing I, they I don't to- get i watch i didn't mean to cut you off but oh you're the, good the, the part about you getting injured is one thing but for anybody who doesn't watch Nitro Circus, doesn't know anything about what's going on here, I mean, you're talking about the one where you really got hurt, don't we? You really got hurt. I mean, you know, you dozer a couple of those trial runs, those jack you up even worse, man. <laughs> I mean, you're literally busted up the entire time till you make the jump. It's not like as if you screwed up the, the, during practice that everything's everything. I mean, the, the practice is what, same with us. We push ourselves in practice, guys get hurt, and then you go out and go do it for the real thing. There's a pretty good chance we might die. <laughs> Yep. I mean, you're actually going into the unknown in the competition, right? Absolutely. <laughs> there's something, uh, man, there's something unique about that that drives you, and that's that creates that appetite or that, it's like a drug, right? You can't oh, yeah. you know that once you hit it, <laughs> that, that high is going to be 10 times better than anything leading up to it. The first back foot, the second one. It's just like with anything, you get used to it, and you're like, oh, I really no big deal. Let's push it even harder. And then you keep going and going and going, and then when it's that elation at the end of it, all that hard work, broken bones for for that. You set the bar. Changing the bar, raising it, is painful. Amen, it is. Well, that's <laughs> you're making a really interesting point, and this makes me think, because I get this question all the time from people who don't know a lot about what SEALs do or anything like that. They go, what are you guys, just a bunch of adrenaline junkies? And I'm sure you've heard that a million and one times. Can you talk to that a little bit, Tanner, and explain kind of why it is you love doing it and and just break that down a little bit so our listeners can can understand it? Yeah, it's adrenaline is a crazy thing. It and especially like I feel that my need for speed, my need for adrenaline has gone up even more now because I just walk so slow that I just want to go fast. Like I sound like Ricky Bobby. Mm. I just want to go fast. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do sound like Ricky Bobby. on that. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's once you get that, that rush of adrenaline, there's nothing like it. And I, and I've, I've never drank or done any drugs or anything like that. And it's, like I've got friends that are alcoholics and just, and I don't, it's never appealed to me. Like my drug of choice is just adrenaline. Like I'd rather get the shit scared out of me and do something, <laughs> overcome it and just be like shaken from like, Oh my gosh, that was awesome. Versus, <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> adrenaline is just, I don't know. It's fuel for life. Yeah. Once you get it, I mean, there's a never ending quest to get the next rush and that's, what i feel like kind of happens i mean obviously you guys know it with the seals like obviously you go into places and you can train and train and train but you never know the real thing until it happens and then come out of there and scale it's just like oh man like you kind of you want more amen <laughs> you do mm-hmm. 
I love it. Well, Tanner, before we wrap up, we always like to ask our guests if, if just what are the things that you tap into all every day? So you wake up, you, you know, you, you look at yourself in your mirror and you say something or what are the motivating things that keep you in the never quit mindset that you tap into day in and day out? Is it your faith? Is it your family? Is it your team? Or is it this adrenaline that you're seeking? What is it that gets you up and gets you going to go for that, that next high in life, brother? Honestly, the thing that really kind of keeps me going is knowing that people are looking to me for inspiration and motivation. And I hate, I hate letting people down. And so it's on those days where I'm like, I really don't want to do this. I just kind of think of all the people that I'd let down if I don't do this or whatever. And so that's kind of the big one. And then just cause I want to do it. I just am stupid enough to keep going at it. so listeners there's the lesson right there serve others and be a dumbass (laughs) and no and i mean honestly everything life's life's crazy things happen and what i've kind of looked is you just you just have to smile you just have to enjoy life You, you never know what people are going through and what's wrong and so as long as you're smiling and just put one foot in front of the other and keep on going and just work your ass off and help your others, help your fellow man. I mean, that's, there's not much more to life than that. I love it, man. Well, I mean, guys like you bring a, a side to, to what you do that not everybody has seen. Everybody gets on the bike and runs down the ramp. And then there's a, there's a, a lot of, a part of them, everybody crashes, but there's some people who do the ultimate crash. It's kind of like doing the ultimate trick. You're, you're in a group by yourself. And so when they see the guys, how they react after they complete the trick is the same as watching the guys, how they react after they get injured. So when the guys, with there's a chance I'm going to get hurt, but I've seen it happen to you and I see how you've reacted. You still got that positive attitude that in itself fires. I mean, fires that flame up bigger than anything, right? It's both sides, the good and the bad. And you're the guy who's walked on, you got hit the good ones and the bad ones and you're still pushing. That's the complete package. So yeah, what what you're doing, man, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around the fact that, well, now people are kind of looking to me for, for this as an inspiration when in the beginning, man, you were just, you were inspired, right? About for the ride. And that, that's a big step, man. A lot of people can't swallow that or carry that burden and, and you do it famously. Yeah, it does. I think, is my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Tanner, man, we're we're just, man, you, you certainly did not let us down. You did not let our followers, our listeners down. Man, it's so awesome to have you on the show. Could you tell our listeners where they can follow you and the Godfrey clan, where they can see more of you, how they can get in touch with you if they do? Yeah, I've, my Instagram's uh, tgodfrey155, and that's really what I'm on. Facebook's just Tanner Godfrey, and then like the Godfrey clan is Godfrey USA. And, uh, yeah, those are the best ways to get in touch with, with me, but yeah, well, brother, we thank you so much for coming on, dude. Absolutely. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, uh, your story's remarkable. You're a true inspiration. I know to me, dude, uh, I'm so fired up that you, you wanted to be with us and it just means the world brother. And just, you're awesome, dude. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. 
Oh, thank you, and thank you guys for what you guys have done for the country. I mean, you guys are the ones that have kind of given us this freedom to keep on pushing, so thanks for letting me come on and be a part of it. Roger that, brother. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, man. <laughs> I want to go jump your mower, dude. You know, into the pond. <laughs> video it, send it to you. <laughs> See if I can twist one of these rods back oh, up. Oh, no, that's gross, dude. I can't fix that. Tanner, God bless you and your family, brother. Take care, man. You too. See ya. Here's what I say. Yes, sir. He is a true inspiration, dude. And he is pushing the limits every single day. And he's doing it somewhat selflessly. I think he loves to go fast, doesn't he? Well, that was evident by the fact that he got back on his bike two it was two months after Two months, February. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask him that question. Did you ever have to get that, you know, were you afraid to get back on or were you, know, you have some hesitation? I think that's why you get back on so fast. Negative. That's exactly why. I didn't yeah, yeah. bother you asking. You get right him. back on the horse, you get right back on the bike, there get right is. back in the field. Well, because dude, the longer how long you're when you got it, hurt before you were back in a platoon? I mean, as you said, three months three or months? So, Three months, right? <laughs> back over back, I was in I was Ramadi eight months later. That's nuts, dude. <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> uh-huh. That was pretty dumb. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks to all my brothers and and, and my sister platoon and an alpha. The whole troop. Carried me through it. <laughs> Amen. 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 I, I think you're on to something though. I mean, to get back in as fast as possible once you've gone. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think it's so critical? Uh, the time allotted in between the accident, the injury, and the, and the recovery, man. Once you, if you leave, well, here's the deal, man. If you're strong up top, and it shouldn't be an issue, but you start to think about the pain and the, and the injury, how long it kept you down. It's kind of one of them deals where, man, I don't want to go down like that again. And this is what caused that, mm. so to speak, as 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 opposed to remembering that this is what you love to do. Right, everybody gets hit, bit, falls down, falls up, whatever kind of deal. And I'm my mom, man. She's she's like, there's never been a horse that hadn't been rode. There's never been a rider that hadn't been thrown. And it's just one of those. If you you get back right back on it, and you remember that you do love it. The fear is not. It's the love, the passion. And it's just even if it was just sitting on the bike or sitting on the horse or getting back next to your boys. Mm-hmm. It's funny, man. I was just on vacation with my girls in North Carolina at these awesome friends' house and. And they had these cool little electric ATVs. And my, as soon as my oldest, the, the bear, saw it, she's like, I want to ride it. So she gets on and just takes off. Well, their daughter and my daughter best friends, and she's a little bit more timid. But, I, you know, we talked her to get on. And I said, don't worry. I'll be riding, running next to you. I'll help you. And so I get them on and start going. And, and I'm running. And, I'm, and I look up to, because Blair, or because the, the bear is, you know, hauling butt. And, and all of a sudden she, you know how, when you're first riding something like you, when you look to turn, you turn to handlebars, she turns, goes right <laughs> up on the bank and rolls over and the thing rolls on top of her, dude. And she's like, you know, she hopped off pretty good and didn't roll on, but she gets up and she had that shake, that fear going, you know, like I'm not doing this. And I, and I remember I said, you gotta get back on, you gotta get right back on. And, and she was looking at me like, no, you're the one who put me on this thing. There's no way. And then her dad comes running up and says, sweetie, you're getting on now. And she got on and we rode for another hour on these things, bro. And so the mentality of that. A great opportunity to learn a lesson. Right? Yeah. 
and and so when I hear Tanner talk, and and to you know caveat on what you're talking about, Marcus, this young man who breaks his back, he was a tremendous athlete. He was you know he was all, he wanted to be a professional motocross rider. He was on that path. I think he had won Utah juniors right before that, and he he breaks his neck. He's paralyzed. He's a paraplegic, and two months later he's riding again. There's something powerful in that. There really is. He's talking mm-hmm. about how he didn't know sure. how, if that was people looking to him for inspiration. Just imagine seeing that. Some guy, you, you saw him all bust up. Two months later, he's out there doing what he loves again. I mean, it it kind of takes the fear away from everybody standing around him, too. You know the deal. If if you got somebody in the room who's in a bad mood, you can feel that. That's a that's a real thing, and especially if they're in the same if they're in a good mood. But it's one of those deals he's tackling that obstacle in his own mind getting back on the horse or on the bike so to speak and then everyone around him sees that as well and i think moreover people who are afraid of especially if if a loved one gets hurt doing something and and they're the ones that are really apprehensive like oh don't get back out there too fast but then if you show them that man this is what makes you happy and what 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 you love to do and it kind of takes the fear away from them as well because it, it resonates through the family, I would imagine. I want to I wanna ask, because I don't have, I mean, knock on wood, I hesitate to even say this. In my career, I've not had a serious, serious injury. Yeah, you should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knocked on yeah, wood. Yeah, thank you for the wood knock there, please. That. But um, we understand that he got back on that bike because he loved to do it, right? Yep. There still has to be an element in his mind, an awareness. It became real when he got in the accident in the first place. And it has to be an awareness in his mind that that could possibly happen again. It's a, whether it's a respect, it's probably a respect. It's a fear. It's a, of what could realistically happen. So I'm going to direct this to you, Marcus, because you came back from some pretty significant injuries and in, in a, a an experience that was traumatic. That had to still exist somewhere in your mind when you got back when you were going back in Ramadi. Oh yeah. How do you? Even though that's what you wanted, you were you you wanted to be there. I mean, I totally understand that. How did you? move past whatever remaining, you know, that fear that was there, that respect or awareness. How did you deal with that? Man, the biggest thing with me is the guys around me. I, I mean, all my teammates, it's just kind of, we just push, you know how we are, we, we push past that. And, uh, and, but, but there's one day you're going to get hit pretty hard, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, that one got me. That's to, what that feels yeah, like. <laughs> that got me to the bone, right? Where, like, the death is present, right. and then, then you start to appreciate life. And you're like, hey, well, do I, I really want I wanted it this bad. I did. I wanted it that bad over death. That life was more important to me than, than dying. Wow. That's, that's all I, that's all I knew. I mean, I, I, I had to be around y'all. I was, it was worth the fear of not being able to come back and, and have my place with y'all was, was more than dying. No, no, I understand that. I, I completely believe it, but still was, wasn't there any element of, con, you know, concern because you're now, Truly aware of what it's like oh, to actually sure. get injured. Well, I mean, so I'm talking about dealing with that yeah, yeah. remaining amount. About, about my, uh, I mean, I'm, dude, I don't like jumping out of airplanes. We gotta do that <laughs> all the time. I mean, it's the same. It never got easy on me. So I just kind of thought about it like that. <laughs> you just push through it. Yeah, it's there. You do your best not I to mean, look I at it. I can imagine yeah. that first night because you guys were getting into it. What you said, eighty-five percent of the time oh, you yeah, need the wire. Man, so that first crack. You know, it's uh, like 
I, I thought shake it out a little bit and yeah, keep yeah, driving standing on. There and and uh, we got back and one of the new guys comes up and he's like, "Man, I was I'm sure I'm glad having you out there." And uh, when that went down, you kind of stopped and looked around and we're feeling everything out and we moved it. It was like that was cool. I was like, "Yeah, keep thinking that." Because <laughs> <laughs> when the first round flew, the first one, yeah, uh, that, I, that I, since since yeah. uh, Afghanistan, I was yeah. like. Ooh. <laughs> what that's what that's exactly what i yeah, mean that's exactly, exactly what i yeah. mean when and that happens it all becomes real again yeah yeah yeah. and then uh two seconds later i was like oh yeah it, it came back to me i knew what to do uh, to to i guess it would be different if you're in the middle of a triple backflip and <laughs> can't stop and think about it <laughs> there's a little difference right but time to reflect <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think about this. This is stupid. Oh, oh, man, oh, awesome, you know, talking about, at least I would have my boys that come up if they needed to if I was slapped in the back of the head or whatever. But I I mean, the best part about my getting back on the horse was when the rounds first start. You know how we kind of look, listen, get down, and figure out what's going on before we, we just don't automatically go into it? That's all the time I needed <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, but, uh, man. And, the guy, and I think what else helped me is the people around me didn't allow that to happen either. They don't talk about team guys. Don't talk about being weak, being hurt, nope. being afraid. It's funny when you remove that component in, of your dialogue, of your thinking, your consciousness, and you and you don't allow it. You compartmentalize. You push it out, and you don't allow that negativity. Like he said, yeah, if you don't ever hear it, yeah, if you don't hear it, if it's not a part of, if you're not conditioned to think like that or to do like that. And that's what Tanner was saying. He says he wakes up and it's a lot easier just to smile and just to think about the positive aspects of life. And that allows him to just push forward and keep doing what he's doing. And if you're mm -hmm. listening, that's what I want you to understand. That's what we are trying to do here with the team. Never quit podcast is identify these consistent th way of thinking this mindset this emotional state of being within the never quit mentality, the status of, your, of how you live your life, that if you continue on the path, regardless of what pain you felt yesterday or the week before or three months before, get back on the bike, you know, get back on the bike, overcome that, you know, embrace that fear, utilize it as a you know, the fear of not doing and being a part of what you love or part of something bigger than yourself, that should drive you to overwhelm that sense that, oh my God, I could be hurt again. And that can be applied in a relationship. It can be applied in a job. It can be applied in, in, in following your passion and your purpose in life. So that's what we want you to understand. Now, if you're a first-time listener, again, man, what an epic show to, to tune into. Tanner is really amazing. Guy, thank you so much. If you're coming back for more, we love you. Thank you so much for, for you know, getting on this ride with us. Uh, it's, it's a fun ride. We're hoping you're having a ball. What we would love for you to do is reach out to someone that you know that is struggling, someone that you know is, is having a challenging time, and share with them the TNQ podcast, right? Tell them to go to our website at tnqpodcast.com. Listen to all the shows we have there or show them on your mobile phone 
the, the iTunes app, you know, and show them, you know, how to subscribe to the Team Never Quit podcast so they can subscribe and we can be on demand. They can download all our shows and at any time, anywhere with whatever they're doing when they're strapped into their UTV and they're going 75 miles an hour down the dirt path, they can have the wizard Marcus and I in their head pushing them to be move forward along with Tanner. All right. What we want to do now is what we always t- traditionally do is we we end the show with reader uh, write-ins because what we want you to do if you get inspired by the show, write in, go to the website tnqpodcast.com, write in and share your greatest never quit story. And if it's good, we're going to read it on the air. If it's great, Marcus, bring them on. We're going to bring them on. All right. So this week's show, this week's story is from Rosaline. Rosalind. Rosalind. All right, here we go. Thank you, Rosalind, for writing in. First of all, I'd like to start by thanking all of you for your service to our country and for creating the best damn podcast I've ever heard in my life. And I know she was thinking that when she wrote it like Mm -hmm. that. That's how she said (laughs) it, by the way. I listen to you guys every (laughs) single day, and you've gotten me through some of the roughest days of my life. My never-quit story is nothing like the stories of the folks you interview, but here it goes. I don't know about that. All right, I'm fired up. Three years ago... So many times they write in, they say something like that. And every time they're just as epic. I love it. Three years ago, when I was 23, I married who I thought was the love of my life, my high school sweetheart. A year into the marriage, she started having mental health issues. And became abusive, causing me to have to leave him and end the marriage. I'll spare the details, but after the very first abusive incident, I decided to leave home and never go back because it wasn't safe for me to be there with him. I went to work the next morning, and then after work, I went to my parents' house. They lived three hours away at the time. I was angry, scared, and depressed but so thankful to have my parents to fall back on, even though no 23-year-old wants to move in back home. For four months, I commuted three hours to work each day and three hours home. I started to take Krav Maga lessons because I decided that I'd never be a victim again. I'd wake up at 3.30 a.m., go to work, and go to Krav Maga, then drive three hours back to my mom's house, where I slept on an air mattress in her living room. With unending support from my family, I was able to keep my head above water and find a place of my own that was closer to work within four months. A few months later, my mom was diagnosed with stage three colorectal cancer. The news hit hard because just a few years prior, she'd been diagnosed and beat breast cancer. I began spending every week back at her house with her. She needed the support to fight her cancer, and I needed to be with her every second. I could, I could because deep down, I knew she might not make it. We made the best out of every weekend. And while she was exhausted from her chemo infusions, my mom's never quit attitude was the stuff of legends. After a few months, she was told that her stage three cancer had spread to her liver and was now stage four, incurable. She was given less, less than six months to live. And I made the decision to take time off work to be with her and take care of her until she passed. 
Taking care of my mom while she was sick presented me, and mostly her, with never-quit moments. She had multiple invasive surgeries, including an emergency colonoscopy. This was hard on her physically and emotionally. I spent many days and nights with her in the hospital rooms. I helped her change her colostomy bags and clean up accidents at any given time. Towards the end, she was heavily medicated to keep her pain in check and was acting somewhat irrationally, getting up in the middle of the night and leaving the house half-dressed, falling down, putting her very expensive medicine into ice cube trays and freezing it, accidentally putting the full garbage bag into the washing machine. She was trying to be productive, but it was so disoriented that she was putting herself in danger. I ended up sleeping in an air mattress next to her hospital bed and in the living room so I could keep tabs on her and ensure her safety. I was her primary caregiver and barely slept for months, but I had it easy in comparison to what she was enduring. The last night of her life was horrible. My grandma, stepdad, and I stayed up with her all night and ultimately watched her pass. She was finally at peace, but I wasn't. This was the beginning of a serious bout of grief, depression, insomnia, and suicidal thoughts for me. The world seemed to have lost all of its color. I felt like I had the air kicked out of my lungs and couldn't breathe for months. I was having nightmares on the nights I couldn't sleep. I could sleep, but I didn't sleep often. I was having frequent flashbacks to some of the most gruesome moments I'd experienced with my mom. I went to a therapist who told me I had a mild form of PTSD. I was depressed and felt alone and unloved. I didn't see the point in life anymore. In a night of depression, I searched the internet for some type of motivation or hope, anything that helped me get to the next moment. I found your podcast. I started listening to it every night as I fell asleep, every morning as I got ready for work, on every lunch break while I exercise. Listening to everyone's never quit stories helped me put out, helped me pull out of the hole I found myself in. I was inspired and I started to do some serious soul searching and decided it was time for me to apply to be a police officer. It's something I've been thinking about doing for years, but I had never had the courage to apply. I am currently in the backgrounds process for the officer job, and I listen to your podcast during my long runs and workout. I want to be a police officer and serve my community. It's all I can think about these days, and I'm going to make it work. These never quit moments just keep happening, and I keep getting stronger from all of them. I am grateful for the struggles. I don't expect this story to go anywhere, but I thought it'd be nice for you guys to know the huge impact y'all are having on my life. You guys saved me when I needed saving. You kept me going every day and you keep me pushing myself harder and harder. There are no excuses and I can't thank you enough. Rosalind. P.S. Your intro gets me so fired up. Rosalind, you are an inspiration to us. You keep it up. You keep pissing hard. You're going to make a great cop. You're going to save a lot of lives. You're going to have a huge impact. And just keep passing on what you learned to the people around you. 
I am so grateful and thankful for people like Rosalind. I'm so grateful and thankful that she writes in. I mean, what do you think about that story, brother? Yeah, amazing. And everyone always says this story is nothing compared to, that's not true, man. Every one of them. And I, it's one of those, it was a while back, somebody, I was on stage and somebody asked me, like, are warriors born or are they made, right? And I didn't know the answer. So I had to sit back and think about it and they were born. It's kind of, you know, everybody attributes the warrior mentality to what we do, right? But it's, you just take that away from it and everybody has their battle. I mean, life is, is a battle. You're automatically in it. Don't worry, it's going to show up to you. And the, the everyday parts of it, man, that's training. Which, and when you have your loved ones, especially, that's the hardest part because they're the ones training you to get through life. So when we lose one of those, it's like losing somebody in battle. It's tough, right? Yep. But always remember that when they were in your life, and they were giving you everything they had so that, that you could keep going when they were gone. I think watching your family members go out in a bad way like that is, is tough. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I mean, it just kind of eats at you a little bit. But just think about how 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 would they want it, right? Yeah, we, and we, I think we forget about that. So it's uh, it's important to remember that that you are going to have your battles in life, and, and when they show up, man, you just you get hit. Sometimes you go down. It's all right to feel that all that comes with it, those emotions. You and then you just kind of chew those up and then just keep telling yourself, eventually, we're going to push past this. And if you're one of those people who, who every day life is a battle or you have a never quit, because that's what Tanner was saying. He's like, I'm kind of one of them never quit stories right now. That's it, right? Yeah. I mean, they just show up periodically just to test you, just to test your resolve. And and if you're one of those people who are always in, having a, a never quit moment, it's, it's funny because we were watching Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. right? You got Drax the Destroyer. You know, my whole thing is I make up everything from movies, right? When he gets drugged behind that spaceship through the trees and he's on the ground, oh, I mean, just kind of sitting, he's like, yes, that was awesome. Yes. I mean, yes. Like the, anytime you get hit, I mean, it just, even if no one's around or if, even if people look around with that look like, oh my God, what, let's see what just happened to that guy. Look up at him and stare at him and go, yes, that did was you, awesome. Did you just see what just happened to me? Oh, I, I love take it. anything. I love right? it. I mean, that's kind of his mentality. It's like, if that is your life, right? If it's, if that is, that's so true. And we were, si- I mean? we were sitting, we were sitting there watching that together. And after he did that, we both started laughing. We looked at each other and said, we need to try to remember to do that next uh, time we get our ass handed to us. Yes. Right? Doing something. Absolutely. <laughs> just dude. try to remember doing that and then just <laughs> see what happens. I mean, total over the top yeah. enthusiasm for something that awesome. <laughs> kicks your ass. Yes. I love it. Well, all right, listen, I just want to wrap up by saying thank you to Tanner. Thank you to Roslyn. Thank you to God. Thank you to Christ. Thank you to my girls. Thank you to my family, my friends. Thank you for all the people who keep me in the fight every day. Thank you, Wizard. Thank you, Marcus. Man, without you two, man, we could not do this. We couldn't have the impact we're having. And, and, and man, it's just, I feel so blessed and I'm so grateful. So thank you. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing to me that we keep getting to do this. <laughs> Thank y'all for that. Tanner, keep pushing forward because we're watching. And Roz, uh, let us know when you get that badge. Amen. Thank y'all for everything. I'm out. Out.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.